You know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 82. Yes, it is uh, Brando, and thanks to everyone who tuned in last episode, uh, I can't even remember. It's like a whole laundry list of people that were on there. John Karabi, of course, from the Dead Daisies and Motley Crue. Uh, then we spoke to our good friend Alex Grassi from Quiet Riot and Hookers and Blow. Uh, we ended up speaking to Mrs. Dizzy Reed because uh, Dizzy Reed himself slept in, but he made a cameo because we had a fun little trip sneaking into his hotel room and waking him up. So if you uh, missed out on that, you want to check out episode 81. If you find found us through, of course, uh, iHeartRadio or uh, AlternativeNation.net, who put out a nice little article about John Karabi talking about his time in the Dead Daisies with uh, Richard Fortas and uh, and Dizzy Reed as well. So that, thanks for that article. Or uh, even Stitcher. I give a shout-out to a listener, uh, Bobby Hanway, who found us on, uh, on Stitcher recently. So uh, thanks to everyone for joining us. And that goes... Doubly, is that a word? I'm, I'm more, I say too many dad jokes, and now I'm saying dad words. Doubly, this is a, a doubly exciting episode because uh, we have a cool guest co-host and a great guest. Uh, first, I guess I'll introduce the co-host because uh, she'll be along the entire interview, and we're going to do shotgun news after the interview. And I'm just going to call you Kill Your Idols. I don't think that's your birth name. I know it's not your birth name, but that's... <laughs> That's how you're famous, I guess, on mygnrforum.com. So uh, Kill Your Idols comments a lot on there. So welcome from Argentina. I could say that, right, that you're from Argentina? Yes. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm infamous at the MyGNR <laughs> forum. Infamous? Yeah. No. Yes. No, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, you're definitely one of the big commenters on there, and this is, goes along with fans being guest co-hosts ever since our, our <laughs> beloved Ian uh, left after episode 39, and we're still friends. He was actually pretty jealous that I interviewed John Karabi. I was going to ask him if it wasn't 9 in the morning. I told him that. Uh, but I've been do- being getting creative with guests. I mean, excuse me, co-hosts. And it's just a unique opportunity, I think, for the regular person, which I am. I just happen to be in radio. I don't get paid for this podcast. I just happen to have access to stuff. Uh that what other podcast out there gives you an opportunity to talk to somebody that you want to, as far as say a celebrity or an artist or uh, an author or whatever? Not many, as as far as I know. So you were one of the people who brought to my attention uh, our guest for today, and uh, just in my my short conversations with him, either through Instagram or email or uh, over the phone, I'm 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 pumped to talk to you, Arian, Arian Bueller, and I'm Mr. Sound Clips. I did not get the Bueller. Ferris Bueller sound clip for you because you probably heard that your entire life, Arian. Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> it's spelled differently. Uh, you kind of it's B U H L E R uh, Arian A R I A N, and I say I spell it like that not just to show that I'm hooked on phonics, but because people want to follow you on Instagram. And the reason why you're our guest today and why Kill Your Idols, you know, uh, helps kind of 
connect me and because I, I didn't know. I didn't know the name of Arian who was who's behind of just the, the most insane artwork I've seen recently. Not even just for a band, just in general. Like I I I I, I think I talk, I spoke about it when I went to the uh, New York City show and I got that Duff Duff McKagan lithograph. That's a gangster New York. I'm like this is so badass. And every lithograph out there, the fans are trading out there. They're so badass, and, and I'm like, I wish I lived in Vancouver or another country to get these lithographs. And then you're the guy behind it, and behind many, most of them, or a lot of them. I guess we're going to kind of talk about that and the box set stuff, right? So I guess yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, it's I get. I guess we should kind of start where if I don't know, maybe it's kind of the same for Killer Idols. I don't know how much you want to tell about your your profession, but for me. Uh, kind of being like a, you know, my back, my undergrad was broadcast journalism and, and now just being in radio. The first word in your byline on your, on your Instagram, freelance. And I'm like looking at everything. You're working with Bob Marley's estate and the Stones and of course GNR, but freelance. Cause there was a time where I, I had four radio jobs at a time. It took me seven years to get a full-time job in radio. I mean, I feel for you graphic designers. It's, it's so difficult. And then Someone like you who just seems like a regular dude, you know, and, and just to get these kind of gigs. So where does it, where does the story start for you, man? How did you get this fame? And so many GNR fans look up to you because there's so much fan art out there. We got questions from fans to ask you. So where can we, you're calling from Florida. I guess that's where we should start, right? So we can kind of triangulate where we are in the world. Yeah, that's correct. And I appreciate the uh, introduction. Um, yeah, I'm calling from Florida. Yep. And, uh. Yeah, I, you know, I have a, a home office, and, uh, you know, that's basically where I do all my work from. Um, you know, and it starts... Uh, when you say home office, though, is it, like, is it like the Batcave? Is it like a very... Is it bare walls? I think some people would want to know what your workspace looks like. Yeah, um, it is... It's you know, I've got I've got you know a bunch of stuff on the walls that I've sort of been influenced by and inspired by over the years and um, you know skateboard decks that have art that I appreciate and uh, a bunch of car stuff because I'm into old cars and so just stuff that I've drawn inspiration from over the years and um, so that's kind of what the office looks like uh, and I'm kind of in the process of probably building something new. Um, for my office that's a little bit bigger where I can actually it may I may be doing like a an office where there's where I can actually park my car have like a, a studio where I have my cars in there maybe a motorcycle or two and mm. um, just sort of a big open area space where I can I can paint and I can have my this you know my cars and surfboards and sort of a whole kind of environment for myself so then when did it so. when did you start drawing because it's obviously you had to start somewhere because when you were uh, younger, because I, I, you're a little older than me. I think you're in your early 40s, you said, right? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so graphic design wasn't always around. So, I mean, I don't know if Kill Your Idols has any drawing experience. For me, it just looks like my hand had a seizure on a piece of paper. Like, I can't. Uh, there were certain times maybe in, in fifth grade where I was really into comic books. I, w- I would stare at, you know, like Venom number one. It, the movie looks bad, by the way. I hope I'm wrong. But I would just kind of trace it, and I would, but I really had a focus to make it look like anything. Were you naturally gifted? How did you start? Like, how, when did you know that you were talent? That you had talent? Um, yeah, well, I, I, it's kind of always been there. 
Um, I started drawing when I was a little kid. Uh, my mom was a talented artist. Um, so I remember as a, you know, as a little kid, I have, I have an uh, identical twin brother also. And, uh, and he, he's a talented artist also. Um, and so we were just, as kids, we just kind of grew up with my mom drawing a lot. And so it was just, I was always around it. Um, and so I would just, you know, me and my brother would kind of just sketch things and have fun with it. And, um, it was always my favorite subject in school was either it was, it was art and, and, you know, gym. Those are, <laughs> sure. my, those are the two things that I excelled at. Um, but then your parents so, never, like your mom never yelled at you for, for drawing too much on your, your, you know, your composition notebook, or even if you no. threw on the walls as a baby, did she encourage all that? She did actually. She was really cool. Nice. Um, she always was very supportive of of my ability to be able to, you know, draw, or be creative. It was never, it was never um, something that she didn't want me to do. She knew I liked it a lot, uh, and so it was just always encouraged. And so I kind of did it as much as I could, you know. What did you draw? Did you draw for yourself? Did you draw to perhaps make like your own little? novel as a kid uh i know re- I, yeah, I, I, I never did- really got into that i mean i always drew for myself just if it was something that i thought was cool um so i never i never got into comic books I, I was never into trying to do that kind of thing okay um it was it was more just sketching just to sort of it was actually had a even as a young kid it had a lot to do with music um because I, I grew up around music a lot too. Not, not my no nobody in my family was a musician, but there were it was just there was always music playing, um, and we went to concerts a lot. And so um, I was exposed to music a lot too as an at an early age. And so um, in high school, I was you know I was really into drawing pictures of of my favorite bands, whoever it might have been. Like I was really into Jimi Hendrix in high school, and okay. so. I used to draw pictures of him all the time. Um, so it was just, so I never really got into creating books or comics or anything like that. It was either focused kind of on surfboard, skateboard stuff or music. Hmm. I like that. So, but how did, um, when you were, t- when you were drawing, like whether it be a portrait of Jimmy or a skateboard, were you? Did you want to do it as far as uh, like realism, or was did you take some sort of creative license? Because again, I look at these lithographs and just to come up with like the theme is always Guns and Roses to to a degree. So when did that that I guess kind of start? Like when you started making your own, putting your own spin on things instead of just being just drawing what you see so well. Yeah, um... like your own style. Like when did you start develop like your own style for stuff? Yeah, I think, you know, that kind of started at an early age, too. I was, I, there was a period where I wanted to just draw exactly what I saw. Um, and that was kind of, that kind of came from just schooling, um, like where it was, you know, you, you take a photograph of something, a still life, and then you try to copy it exactly, you know, through pen and paper or or some, some sort of pencil sketch. So um, that kind of, I, so I went through a period of that, of just wanting to do that kind of stuff and just see how well I could do it, how well I could copy something. 
Um, but then it kind of grew from there because I, I figured if you could do that, you might as well just take a photograph of it. And so um, I wanted to sort of be a bit more creative than that. And so that probably developed around in high school somewhere too, in that kind of time frame. You know, I always ask whether it's a musician and now in this instance, uh, an artist, what do you consider your first big break? When did that first happen? Because you were telling me off the air, because of course I reached out because this is a GNR-centered podcast, but you you worked with Bob Marley's estate. So I don't know if there were things before then. Like, how did you, you reach some some heights? It's not just of your talent, but just of who you work for. So was there a certain point where you know what, not only do I like doing this, but I can do this for a living, not just, you know, whether it's supplemental income or a, a hobby. Like, when did you realize that, wow, I can I can do what I want for a living? Um, yeah, my first, I don't know if I've ever had, like, a big break. I, you okay. know, I never kind of viewed it that way. Fair enough. Um, I started freelance in 2000. So I've been doing it for 18 years as freelance. Wow. Um, and before that, I was just working odd jobs doing at a plant nursery or um, I worked on a road crew for a while. Uh, I did a bunch of just different random jobs in my early 20s. Um, and I'd gone to school a bit for, for design and computer, sort of doing design work on computers also. Um, but at, in 2000, I decided... I was just going to try and do freelance full time. And I worked at a couple of t-shirt companies too, before that. Um, so I knew, I knew the, that world pretty well. And so, um, like I said, in 2000, I just decided this is what I'm doing and that's it. And so I wasn't, Love it wasn't it. a big break. It was just like a total dedication to it. I hear you. Um, and so that that's kind of how it started, and it didn't start with big clients at all. It was, you know, local stuff and um, just stuff. Or you know, I, I live in a, a a a tourist town here in Florida, and so but it's a historic town, so it's got a, some pretty cool things happening. And so I just started doing stuff for local companies here, and then I did that for a while, and I I kind of figured I reached the the top of that in a way for my for my own, for myself at least, I didn't. I felt like I didn't really want to do that stuff anymore. I wanted to do something that I really felt more sort of connected to, and so then that led into the music thing. Um, so I guess in a way, the break was I did a bunch of preliminary designs for Bob Marley, and I'll backtrack a bit in a minute about where that comes from. Okay, but I I did some some just like I said some preliminary designs and approached the company that held the license for Bob Marley's uh, merchandise. And, um, and they ended up liking the designs that I had done and wanted to buy them. And so that happened. And then it just kind of built from there. And that company also owned licenses to um, other artists like the Grateful Dead and Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon and wow. a bunch of different people. So, um, so then it kind of, like I said, it kind of grew from there. What do you think stuck out? Because Bob Marley, I mean, there, there's so many different T-shirt designs. I mean, he's just, he's become more than the music. He's been like that for a while. I think even before his 
his death where he just has like an iconic iconic message and image. So there are a lot of artists who have tried to do what you're doing. What do you think like separated you or brought you to their attention or like why they picked you? Like, do you understand what I'm asking? Cause it's, I do, yeah. Because yeah. it's such That's a fight, different. yeah. To, to, to go to the top of your profession and to be noticed. It's just, did they tell you that? Or how, did, how do you think, why do you think that happened? Uh, I mean, my best guess would be um, I have a connection to Jamaica and, and reggae music. I, I was partially raised in Jamaica. Oh, okay. Um, as, as, as a kid. Um, and so, but it wasn't just, you know, I was raised there with Rastafarians, like up in the mountains and no running water or electricity. And, wow. Um, and so I had a unique childhood and perspective. Um, and so, and I lived with Rastafarians. And so I had this sort of connection as a kid that, that sort of helped me develop a whole sense of, um, understanding about the music and, and, and not specifically Bob Marley, but that the culture sort of world. Yeah, exactly. The culture. And so, uh, I think that helped, that definitely helped me with while I was approaching, you know, the, the Bob Marley um, family, family, and trying to work with them. Um, but I also do, I also do my homework a lot on anything that I work on, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Guns N' Roses or the Rolling Stones or Bob Marley. So, because I've been able to connect with um, a lot of a lot of bands or artists that I work with, and I think that's mostly because I. I do a bunch of research and I work really hard at it. And so it shows. I think that maybe set me apart a little bit. I, I understand everything you just said as far as that you grew up in their lifestyle and you can't fake that. And whether it's just, it can just be an energy that you emit and that you, they just know, you know, you may have just have had that. And I, that's fascinating, but I got to backtrack to that, that you're, you're, you're raised by, Rastafarians, that's just like the badass version of Dances with Wolves. Like, was that with your, <laughs> was that with like your mom? Like, like, can we, can you talk about that at all? Cause it just, you know, GNR aside, that's, that's interesting to grow up that way. Uh, yeah, it was definitely interesting. Um, yeah, we can, I can definitely talk about it. Um, so yeah, my mom and dad were both pretty hardcore hippies. Uh, at that, you know, back in the late sixties, early seventies. And so, um, they had moved down there, uh, when they were in their early twenties and, um, loved it. They, and they moved with some Rastafarians. And so, um, but then they ended up getting deported because <laughs> they overstayed their, they, they burned their visas and they, so they overstayed their, they overstayed their visa and then they, they burned them and got deported by the, by the, you know, by the Jamaican government. Oh, mm. <laughs> and so, um, and so they, but they always loved it. Um, and they always wanted to go back. Uh, so they, my mom, my parents got divorced when I was a little kid. And so my mom, at one point when I was 10, when I was 10 years old, she had had enough of New Jersey. <laughs> so, she's like, I can't take New Jersey anymore. We're moving to Jamaica. <laughs> That's such a great so, transition. New, I mean, I don't know if it kill your idols, you understand, but as a New Yorker, New Jersey is, I don't know, it's kind of 
I mean, I have friends in Jersey and family in Jersey, but it's just something. A lot of the stereotypes, hey, Jersey, and then just go to Jamaica. It's such a contrast, <laughs> such a complete 180 of just culture. They go from the Sopranos to, I'm blanking on the fucking uh, bobsled movie. Oh, Cool Runnings? Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. Yeah, to go from the Sopranos to Cool Runnings. There's quite a contrast in culture. Yeah. yeah, and it was a total culture shock for me and my brother. So my mom moved us down there by herself. It was just me, my brother, and my mom. She decided that that's what we were going to do. So she pulled us out of school, um, like in fi- the beginning of fifth grade, and then uh, moved us down there. I'd been there once when I was a little kid, but I didn't remember it. I was really young. I was probably like two and a half or three years old, so I didn't remember any of the Jamaica thing. So I had come from New Jersey where I was starting to get into skateboarding, and, you know, we had cable TV and, like, fr- and friends and, you know, the normal sort of, you know, uh, sort of suburban kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, even though my mom was not the normal kind of person, but we still, <laughs> I still had, you know, I still had that kind of, you know, surroundings. Um, so then to move from that to the middle of the jungle. Uh, <laughs> with, welcome to with, the jungle. Yeah, well, welcome to the jungle, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you kind of had your Axel moment. Then, not to, to pause, you know, the, just to make note of that, you going from Jersey to Jamaica is like going from Indiana to the Strip. What in a way, I guess, for yeah, our purposes. I, yeah, I never, I never, never thought about it like that, but that was yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, so it was definitely a huge culture shock, and uh, when we got there, it was, you know, there, we got dropped off by this a local bus dropped us off at this little town there's like a crossroads in the town up in the mountains and then we had to walk four miles um in on this dirt road up this mountain and get to this guy named james he was the rasta that we lived with he was kind of like my grandfather Hmm. he'd become kind of like my grandfather but you know we got there in the evening and there was no running water no electricity just little kerosene lanterns and and then that was my life for the next almost three years. Wow. Um, There's something beautiful was, about was, that. Yeah, it was it was one of the most defining periods of my life, without a doubt. That has to influence your art, I would think. I mean, just to... I think... Yeah, I think it did, definitely. I mean, I didn't... I, I don't recall doing much art there. Okay. Um, because we were just always running around in the jungle and... You know, <laughs> Like, I love it. Being wild, wild little boys. So, um, but I definitely think it it, it, it it influenced my art and just my the way I see sort of the world, you know? Oh, of course. And I think that's what comes through in the lithographs and, and the way the box set uh, art is comes across and... I guess it goes back to what the Marley family saw. There's a certain energy that comes across that maybe, I mean, it, it could have been gifted in you, you know, since uh, since birth, or it could have been, well, I guess obviously some of it was, but uh, who knows? Because I mean, what your experiences have translate into your artwork. I mean, I can, I could, we could all say the same thing for everybody. I mean, my experiences makes me who I am. So I mean, that that's kind of a. An obvious statement, but no, I think people that would not expect that 
uh, for the person who's behind all the lithographs to have this kind of, you know, this jungle life that you lived. I mean, I, I'm like Mowgli a little bit. I don't know if I'm from the Jungle Book, Jungle Book reference now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I got in a, in, a way, was, in a way it was kind of like that. I mean, luckily in Jamaica, there's no wild animals. Um, so there's none of that. I wasn't it's a Jungle about. Book minus the animals, which I guess would be a really <laughs> boring story, I guess. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, in a way, it was definitely it was definitely out of the ordinary and unique and something that affected me in a lot of ways. That's incredible. So, uh, I mean, we can spend so much time just talking about that, but of course, you know, here, want to talk about, we have questions to get to from, uh, from listeners. Would, would, what would we say came first, the GNR contact or, cause I'm sure there, we, I mean, if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, chances are you're a Rolling Stones fan. Uh, what came first so we can kind of just go along your story. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. As far as as far as me as far as me being influenced, or you mean to, uh, to you're work? working with, working with um, the the Stones came about first. Um, as far as working with with them. Okay, and then how did that come about? Because you know that's why I kind of laughed when you said I haven't had that breakthrough moment yet, and I'm like, the Rolling <laughs> you can't get higher than the Rolling Stones. You can't. No, I, that, I mean, yeah. even if you say the Beatles, it's one one A. You know what I mean? You can't get higher than yeah. that. So how did yeah, that? Like, mm-hmm, go ahead. Like I said, I guess in a way, I never thought of it as a break. I just thought of it like I've just been working hard for the last close to eighteen years at it. So it's just been a gradual kind of, um, you know, progression. Sure. Okay. Um, so. But I guess I could look at it at that, as that way too, where it was like when the, when I got the Stones, um, the opportunity to work with on that that project, um, that was definitely a big deal for me. Um, and it still is. It's still a surreal kind of thing to know that I created a bunch of posters for for uh, you know a, a couple of their tours. Um, and so that happened. Um, I think it was 2013. I started on their tour um and it came it happens through a company called bravado who um is part of universal universal music and so um i'm close with a the creative director there uh he's a great guy um so he just i got an email from him and he just said hey do you you know you want to try some Want to try some posters for the Stones? <laughs> it was just basically casual like that. And I was like, yeah, of course, it. yeah. And so then it started. I, I did some preliminary stuff, um, kind of find out what, where the where they were going to be playing, and then research those cities. And you know, we decided on a few different concepts. I, I usually what I'll do is I'll just kind of sketch out an idea. Um, for wherever the wherever the show is going to be, and that's generally how I how I we, you know it's kind of evolved into this thing where it's I want to do a, a specific design for each city, and then rem- make it relate to the to the city, but also to the band and hopefully the the people that live there and the fans of whatever band it might be, and so that's how I start the process. I'll do, you know, just do some sketches after I research the area and 
to try to find some unique things about that area and then try to make it work um, for, like I said, for the band and the city. That sounds like that was kind of the, I guess pun intended, stepping stone to what Guns N' Roses would be because of the amount of artwork you had to do for them, I assume, versus the Stones. So there were more locations to look at and more research to do. Is that there was a lot of there was a lot of locations and research to do. Actually, for both for the for the Stones, there was also a, a bunch to do because they I did two or three tours for them before the Guns N' Roses thing started. Okay. Um, so there was a bunch of research for, you know, to try to make that stuff work too. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the Guns N' Roses has been, a, has been a whole lot of researching cities all around the world, which has been really interesting and fun for me because I'm constantly trying to learn new things and push myself artistically and creatively, but also so I'm learning stuff that way, but I'm also learning stuff about all these cities um, that I normally wouldn't ever have the, you know, obviously have the opportunity to travel to, but even research just on my own. But since I've, since I've had this thing going on with the work, then it, it, it's cool because then I get to kind of, I get to kind of, you know, learn about all these places around the world that, um, that I'm not necessarily, you know, wouldn't necessarily be looking at. So it's been a lot of fun. I want to get to some of the specifics, and uh, which comes from fan, fan questions, and Kill Your Idols is going to read that in a second. But before that, uh, did we, uh, did you with with GNR? Was it the same way with the Stones and how you started to work with them? Where it was through a company, it was through another party, because it's not like Axel just found your Instagram and it was like, "Yo, what up? I like your pics." Like it wasn't like how. how <laughs> I don't know why I. Not like that. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just being an idiot as usual. But like, why? Like, how did the GNR thing happen? How did you land that gig? Because, like I said at the beginning, there's so much fan art out there and a lot of talented individuals. But you took it to another level. Yeah. Well, thanks. See, there are a lot of talented people out there, and so, um, you know, which is good. That pushes me because I see a lot of other people's art and you know, designers' art and. uh um, you know, and then I'll get intimidated by it. Like, man, I gotta, I gotta step it up. So, um, so that's always a, it's always a good thing to have other people out there that are doing really good art because it helps push me to, you know, push myself. So, but yeah, it came about in a similar way since I had success with the, um, with connecting with the stones. Um, cause I did, I ended up doing a majority of a couple of their tours. I, you know, the majority of my art was, was, chosen to to be the you know the actual stuff that got printed um it happened in a very similar way it was you know hey we're uh guns and roses is going to be going on tour um do you want to do some do you want to try some poster designs for them and so it started with that with the with the vegas one that they did okay. in 2016 so it started a few months before that and they you know like i said just approached me the same person that approached me for the for the stone stuff, then approached me about the Guns N' Roses stuff. Now we we know that you are you know you're big into, into reggae, but when in, in in the Stones and Jimmy, how big? And I I know we spoke about it a bit off the air, but you you're not like a die hard Guns N' Roses fan. You like them, but so do you find that do you find that harder or let me put it this way? Do you prefer that when it's an artist that maybe that you don't know everything about? 
like maybe if you're going to do something with Jimmy, like, oh, I know everything about him. I, I, is that more intimidating or is that easier than if you're doing it for an artist that maybe you don't know enough about, then you have to do research more than just the location, but maybe about the band or the history of old logos or old album covers, if it's going to influence you? Do you, do you have a certain preference as far as familiarity um, with your subject? Yeah, um, I don't really have a preference. Um, I kind of like all music, so um, I find it interesting to, uh, even if it's a band that I've known well or I grew up listening to, um, you know, there's fun, that, there can definitely be something fun there because it's familiar. Um, and Guns N' Roses, you know, I, you know, that Appetite for Destruction came out when I was 12, mm-hmm. and so I remember it well, and it was a big deal. Um, I actually just moved back from Jamaica at that point. Um, and so I remember coming out and thinking it was like, you know, intense. And I remember the video for, for welcome to the jungle. And it kind of scared me. (laughs) I didn't know. I was like, man, I don't know what to think about this. Um, and so, uh, but you know, working for them and drawing inspiration for them, has been a lot of fun because I, I didn't know. I mean, I knew some stuff about him, but I didn't know a whole lot, you know? So, um, it's been a lot of fun to research them and find out what their interests are and, and who the guys are individually and, uh, sort of, um, create art that appeals to them, but then also appeals to the fans. So that's been a lot of fun for me because it's, because there's a there's a lot to go through and a lot to discover and uh so so yeah like i said it i can kind of find inspiration and something fun in no matter who i'm working for but the guns and roses thing has been fun because it's it's got great it's got they have great material to work with and you know if you're doing something with skeletons and and guns and roses and and like all these elements that are always cool they're they've always been cool and they'll always be cool so it 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 allows you to have a lot of fun with with the subject matter and and you know you can kind of push you know push it push it a bit with your you know with what might be in the in the actual you know drawing or so um so it's no matter how many you know how, how many posters i've done or or how many um t-shirt designs or whatever it's it's always a, it's always fun to sort of draw that kind of stuff because it, you know, I drew that stuff as a kid. I was drawing skeletons and that kind of thing when, uh, you know, as a kid, and so it it never get it never gets old. Right on, right on. And I also look at it like Guns N' Roses. Yes, they're a band, but you're also drawing individuals. You're doing Axel Duff and Slash sometimes separately on different lithos. And the Stones, I mean, a lot of it's just it could be just the the logo. I mean, you could be doing Mick and Keith, of course, and but a lot of it just as far as the Stones posters I'm usually familiar with are, you know, the lips and the tongue. And, you know, GNR has a nice mix of logo and the band members, whether they're the actual members or as a skeleton or whatever. Uh, so you have, yeah. the, you have the questions in front of you there, uh, Killer? Yes. All right. uh, we have uh, Robert Samuelson from St. Louis. I'd love to hear how he came up with the St. Louis city. Lithograph. St. Louis? Yeah, the St. Louis one. So obviously there's a lot of history between GNR and uh, the city of St. Louis. So what went into making that one? Um, 
Actually, let me. I'm trying to remember which one that was. <laughs> <laughs> I've done so many. Uh, I've so like, many. That's also that's also a fair question. Uh, you know, that you can't remember every piece you've done. You've done thousands. Is that fair to say? I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So I I, um, I don't even I don't remember what the Litho, uh, the the St. Louis one did it have the arc on it I don't I don't recall me I wish Robert included the uh, the picture sorry it, it <laughs> may be the arc one it, but I didn't actually do that one oh, so all right. um, if it's not it may be I'm not sure because I know they toured you know a couple times um, around that area but I don't know if, if if they did St. Louis twice if it is the arc then that's not one I did. All right, then you know what? I'll I'll follow up and you know, just like how we normally do. I'll follow up with Robert when he hears this and then I'll I'll ask you and we'll answer this on on social media. Uh so Okay. <laughs> all right, so we're over for uh, for for the questions thus far. For one. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's all right. Uh next one you got killer? Uh Sorab Brownstone from Germany. Um what is the lethal of the junior tour that he is the most proud of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I have a few that I really like. Um, I really like the I really like the samurai for uh, Japan. Yeah. I like that that one quite a bit. Um, I really like the the three guys. Actually, the the Los Angeles posters. I like those quite a bit too. Okay. Um, and and then. Um, I like the, there's a surf, a surf skate and BMX inspired ones for, uh, Southern California also that I like those quite a bit. And I like the BMX one quite a bit too, because, and that's that one of those for Southern California. I like that one a lot because that one was kind of inspired by Slash. Sure. Um, because of the BM, his BMX history. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of fun for me to research and kind of watch some interviews with him about, you know, uh, about his, uh, some of his history in, in BMX. And so, and I, you know, I've got some old bicycles from, from the early eighties uh, that are BMX bikes. And so, and I kind of grew up in that time period also. So that was fun for me um, because, because of his, his connection to that. And that's, you know, in Southern California, that's basically where that, that whole world started. You know, so, um, so I had a lot of fun with that one too. So I've got, a, I've got a few, but I, but the samurai one may be, that one may be my favorite out of all of them. That one's pretty badass. Definitely. Thanks. All right. Next up, we got, uh, our buddy, Tim Tricoli. What does he ask? Uh, see if he knows whatever happened to the Dubai little, he created a design for it, but no prints or shirts were ever made for sale at the concert. Oh, for du- for Dubai? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, there's, I don't have a lot of information about that. I think what happened was the, you know, I, I don't have a, whole, I don't have a very close connection to the printing, especially when the printing is done overseas, um, because most of the time that's what happens is if it's in a foreign country if it's in Europe or wherever it may be, it gets printed over there somewhere. They, they get in contact with a local printer there that can handle the job because, because if it's printed here in the U S and then they have to ship everything and, and, you know, all the merchandise, it becomes, it's just too much of a hassle. 
And so they print everything almost on location in a way. Um, and so I don't have a lot of information on that one. I think what happened was there was a miscommunication some, somehow about it, and it actually never got printed. It's not that it got it did get printed and didn't make it to the show. I think it never it was never actually printed ever. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Tim has quite the GNR collection, and he's always going to ask those really specific GNR questions that I love so much. So, uh, yeah, so that was That's good. a good question. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, you don't. I don't know if you can pronounce your last name. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, we we'll say Cat from yeah. Belgium. <laughs> Sounds good. You got it. Uh, I would really like to know why he based the 2017 Lisbon Litho on a painting by set artist Musha. Musha. Okay. Now was that you? Um, was that you that did the uh, the Lisbon one? Yes, that, that was me. All right. And so the question is, what inspired me to do that? Yeah, by the. I mean, this is something that I wouldn't know. That uh, I'm not hip to Czechoslovakian uh, artists, but uh, Musha or Mu is that how you pronounce it? Or it's Muka. Muka. Yeah. I was going to say that, but uh, I thought I was going to butcher it. So it is Muka. Okay. All right. Yeah. So he th that inspired me because of because of um, he's from the region and his art, you know, that um, Art Nouveau is just always, I, it's always, I've always found it beautiful and interesting. And so um, it's basically just based on the fact that he is from that region. And I kind of wanted to sort of just do an homage to, to that, that style of art. Um, so and, but it didn't put a you know Guns N' Roses kind of twist on it, um, so that that's basically that's basically where the idea and the and the art came from. Right on, right on. Uh, we got one more fan question submitted, uh, at least that you know that I can, because we can get we can be here asking you fan questions all day, obviously. But I had to limit it to uh, to just five. So the uh, last one came from Twitter, and I and I actually do have a follow up, of course, after you ask this, uh, kill your idols. Yeah, this one is great. <laughs> at, oh, okay. I don't know what's the name. Says yeah, it's, it's, it's at uh, yeah, s, uh, at uh, C-E-S-S-X-I-I-I -I -I on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter, whatever. Yeah, I'd ask what the cost is for an original piece, even a sketch. I'd kill to have a pick from him inspired by, based on me. Haha. <laughs> 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 so he wants to know if he how much a, like a commissioned piece. Would yeah, be. I'm sure you get those yeah. all the time. You know, yeah, hence being a freelance, and not everyone. You know, it's not always going to be Guns N' Roses and the Stones reaching out to you. It could be just uh, you know, an art collector. Hey, hey, can you paint me? You know, naked in a field. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you uh, you know, what do you normally charge? Do you do things like that, or do you strictly go through third parties? You know, what if someone wants to to hire you, Arian? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do things like that. I, I mean, I don't, I don't normally have someone ask me to paint a picture of themselves. Okay. <laughs> or, or so this person's an egomaniac, whatever they are. It's okay. <laughs> right. So I generally not approached with that kind of uh, job, but um, I definitely do work um, for third, you know, for lots of different things. So. Um, but it all depends on the design and what they, you know, what, how, how complex they want it, what it is. I mean, you know, t-shirt designs are, are generally less expensive than a lithograph design or, you know, screen printed poster design. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it can range anywhere from a few hundred bucks up to, uh, you know, over a thousand. So, um, maybe that gives him an idea. Right on. So then this, I've, I think someone asked me to ask you, I guess forget, because I always like to give credit, but it's something that I would, I think I would, everyone thinks of, uh, eBay, when you see, you know, people are trading these lithographs, you know, I, I got to... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was, I forget at this point, it was the first NYC show that they, it was the Duff one with the, uh, the Gangs of New York theme. And I got yeah. there early. There are plenty of lithographs there. You know, I paid my 50 bucks. But then afterwards, people, I'm getting offers. I'll pay you 100 for this. But I mean, I liked it because it has a sentimental value, but people are, are trading. So I guess there's two thoughts here. Do you like the concept of trading your art, which it could be fun, like baseball cards or whatever? Or and uh, the other part of it would be when people sell them on eBay for more, well, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, which I think is I, I don't like. Oh, you know what? This that reminds me that um, I think it was Art Tavana and our old co uh, co host uh, Scott uh, both said that's capitalism, baby. They had no problem if you buy like five lithographs and you sell them, all, you know, four of them online to make a profit. Like the stuff like that bother you or no? Well, I mean, I have a few different ideas on that. As far as the trading is concerned, I think that's cool. I like that. I mean, if, you know, um, obviously, probably some are going to be more desirable than others. Um, and so I think the trading thing is, is neat. You know, it's cool that I'm, I've been able to create a piece of art that someone would want to be able to do that with. Um, and then the eBay thing, that kind of bugs me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's on one hand, it's cool to keep them, keep the posters limited to a limited amount, you know, 50 or a hundred or 200, you know, mm-hmm. um, because then that, that drives the value of them up. So the people that do get them maybe will have something valuable at some point. Maybe they won't. And I, you know, it's hard, you know, it's collectible stuff always. Oh, sure. Fluctuates oh. in, you know, in popularity and, and value, but. Yeah, I, as an example, I bought, I spent, I think, at the time, 60 bucks on a Sammy Sosa rookie card, which, is, of course, is worthless now because he did steroids okay. and corked his bat. So anyway, I'm sorry, but I know what you mean, obviously. No, that's a good point. Exactly. So you never know, you know, you could spend a bunch of money on something and then 10 years from now, it's not, it's not worth much at all. Right. Um, so, but the thing that, yeah, the thing that the eBay thing kind of, bugs me a little bit because I feel like there are genuine fans out there that want a piece of art and they could have bought it at the show. Um, so to allow them to buy a bunch, you know, some just whoever, some guy, some eBay seller to buy a bunch of them and then sell them at a really, um, you know, hiked up price or, or um, even at, even at the same price, but then, you know, aren't allowing the people that the fans at the, at the actual show to get them. I, I think that that's a bit disappointing for me just because I, you know, I, I like to think that the, you know, that the fans are going to be able to have access to that design and be able to hang it on their wall and, you know, and, and really enjoy it. And so it kind of, yeah, it kind of bugs me that, that, um, there's people doing that, that they'll, they'll buy them up and then sell them for, for way, you know, way more than they could have actually got them for at the show. So I wish that didn't happen. And I know that is capitalism and that's kind of how, how the world works in a way. 
Um, yeah. But I think it's I think it's unfortunate, and I have no control over it. Um, so it's sort of at this point, I guess it is what it is. No, I'm with you. It is what it is. I had to agree to disagree with my my, my buddy Scotto, and because I mean I I get it. You know why people do that with you know of course the lithographs in this conversation or. I mean, if they they collect, uh, like if something gets like demolished, like an, I guess stay in sports. If uh, like an old stadium gets demolished and people are picking up dirt or whatever, and 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 people sell old Yankee Stadium dirt for like hundreds of dollars, I don't want to buy fucking dirt. I don't care because it was the old Yankee Stadium. But that's just the way collectibles work. And if there wasn't a market, these things wouldn't sell. I get it. But if anything, I think we all can agree upon. It's just a testament to your your work and that it's in demand uh, and uh, I hope it I, I don't know I know we said it off air but uh, I, I hope there, there's more uh, to come uh, from you I mean I know there will be in just in general uh, because you're never going to start ma- making art but just G&R art because I think that's just really uh, it's every litho is just different the research you do like the example you gave for the Czech Republic and to do it in the style of a of a Czech artist is something that I just don't think many fans of bands get. If that makes sense, I don't know. Yeah, you, and I you, appreciate that. Yeah, that um, that is part of what excites me about doing art. Is there are some artists that um, have built careers on just doing a certain type of art, whatever that art might be. You know, it's if it's hand lettering or whatever it might be, and they do that one style, and that's what they do. Um, I respect that, but for me, that doesn't excite me like as an artist myself because I want to constantly push my own abilities and see if I can create something new and learn something new. And so I'm um, constantly wanting to learn. And so um, to be just to create a different poster or something that has a very different look for each location. And, you know, I don't know, some of my stuff does have a, a similar look and you may be able to tell it's mine, but. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's fun to do that and, and, and challenge myself. So, uh, I'm glad that that comes across. And so there, I do have a few more that I'm working on for the last leg of the tour. Oh, cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, so hopefully those will be out there when the, when the time comes. Um, so, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be doing more art just in general. But for the for the Guns N' Roses, you know, thing, um, I do have a few more that's that are in the works for, like I said, this last leg. And I almost forgot because I asked you this off the air, but I want to make sure I ask it on the air. It's it. Uh, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the band? Because you're not, like, again, you're not in there with Axel designing it. You know, it's through a third Correct. party. So, what? I mean, you haven't had much interaction with the band themselves, but have they given you feedback? Uh, yeah, I haven't had much interaction with the guys, um, but I, I have received, yeah, you know, um, email chains and stuff like that. Notes that they, you know, that they're really, you know, been very happy with all the art and they really like it, and um, and so um, that's been really cool, you know, to hear that because the guys are approving them, you know, they 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 got they kind of get final say on the artwork. And so to know that they're looking at it and approving it and are stoked on it is, uh, is really cool. And so, um, because like I said, I, you know, I'll, I'll design some in mind for 
you know, one of the guys, like the Slash one with the DMX, that was definitely with him in mind. Or, you know, there's um, like a Philadelphia one that I did that's kind of got more of a punk rock cut and paste kind of feel with Benjamin Franklin on it. That was just more like a punk rock approach because Duff kind of comes from a punk rock background, you know? Yeah. And so, so I'll do, I'll do some of that stuff just for, you know, for one of the guys specifically. And the the response from them has been definitely been positive. So that's, that's great. It has to be because I I can't believe, because I'm so infatuated. I think I, I, I did a mental pivot into the whole being raised by Rastafarians and wanting to know more about you and not focus. I mean, yes, it's GNR, but not focus so much on them because you just have a, a cool story regardless. But you also did the, the graphics uh, for the Shadow of Your Love lyric video, correct? I did, yeah. Which I cannot tell you the amount of times I've watched I watched that video when it first came out, and I never watched lyric videos. I just think they're dumb. But there was something about the way that looked, and I know you didn't work on the animation, but just the subtle movements of the animation, the way it worked, uh, moved. But the, the, just the way, again, it looked, and I know you did the the one, what was it, the old, it was supposed to look like the old cat house, right? And they were all skeletons, that something of that nature? Yeah. Right? Yep. And, so you did yeah. that, and right here in, in New York City for the, the box set, what was it like to have your artwork in New York City? In t- fucking Times oh, Square, which is famous yeah. everywhere. Yeah, that was crazy. That was really, that was a, uh, you know, that was a pretty high point for me. That was because it was surreal that, I mean, I've been to New York a bunch of times through my, throughout my, you know, throughout my life and just sort of, and I've been in Times Square and, you know, Times Square is, uh, it's overwhelming how much, you know, what's there. And so to have a piece of my art there, um, was definitely really uh, amazing. So, um, yeah. And then the other stuff too, the, you know, like the, um, shout of your love and th- that stuff was fun to, to, to create in the, the cat house kind of one that, you know, that one was, those were all inspired by this, by the songs, you know, um, off of appetite. So, um, it was fun to sort of research those and then kind of try to come up with an idea that maybe that, that relates to the song. I mean, it's just—it's all just awesome. It—it it, it really is, and uh, it makes me wish I'm, I was one of those fans who, and there may, are many out there that travel the world and not just to see the shows, but collect the lithos. And uh, it kind of makes me wish I had more money, more, more money to do that. So uh, at least I got my one. I got my Duff uh, NYC litho, so I got something uh, to hold on to. And I'm not gonna sell it. Not gonna, I even I was uh, talking to a, a GNR fan on Long Island, and she was gonna trade me the Axel one, uh, and I just couldn't do it at the end. I I had to pull out because I'm like, I don't know. There's something. I was there for the Duff show, so that it definitely has sentimental value. Uh, that's the one for those who don't remember where Pink came out towards the uh, the end of Patience. So, uh, speaking of Patience, I, I I appreciate you kind of sitting here for an hour. Uh, letting me, you know, pick your brain and ask you questions. I know a lot of fans were interested to hear from you. Um, I know you're not big on social media, but I definitely would suggest fans follow you on Instagram at Arian Bueller, A-R-I-N-B-U-H-L-E-R. And is there another way that fans could perhaps reach out to you, whether they want a a drawing of themselves (laughs) or something else, (laughs) you know, if they want to hire, you know, a a pretty badass uh, graphic designer? 
The best way is through Instagram. Um, okay. To get hold of me, he, you know. That's how I did. Or, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, messaging me through that is usually the best way because if I'm, you know, not at the office or if I'm traveling or something, uh, I always have my phone with me. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, do you have any questions? Because, you know, you're well, I know you ask other people's questions, uh, Killer, but did, I'm sorry. I kill your idols. It's just, I know, uh, it's, we'll talk about it when we get to the shotgun news and we'll, a little bit more of a, a loose conversation there. But uh, I'll just call you Killer for now because kill your idols is such a mouthful. Anyway, you were asking other people's questions. Do you have any questions before we let uh, Arian go? Yeah, I would like to know why he didn't make the posters for the Latin American leg of the tour oh yeah um i unfortunately i don't have much information on that either there was they they just um i think there was a decision made that some somewhere along the line i don't know if it was through management or 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 not um that they that they just weren't gonna do many posters um for that leg um i really don't have much information beyond that Mm mm-hmm no, yeah, so, I think it was some uh, guy from Germany who did it. But I, I oh, wonder why. Was there why a guy you, from Germany that did? Was there a guy from Germany that did some for the for the Europe for the South American part? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I know there was at one point I, they didn't do much design work, and then um, for the South American portion of the tour. No, no, uh, it, it was for the second time that they came. The second time, um, okay. Yeah, yes, it was only for Chile, Argentina, and um, Brazil. Okay, so I, I, I do know why I didn't work on that part because I was actually working on the stone. I was actually working on the stones, uh, stones tour at that point. That's a good excuse. Um, oh, so I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't able to do. I wasn't able to do both. <laughs> yeah, so th- that's why. That's Too why busy. that happened. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, is it, that's just too much work? Like, or does it take your brain two different ways? That I need to be completely immersed in this one band and this one outlet at this moment. I, or are you able to do multiple projects like that at once? I'm able to do. I'm able to do multiple projects like that because sometimes it's fun to take a break and and you know think creatively in a different way. Um, but most of it is just. There's lack of time because of deadlines. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Because a lot of this work is, you know, I mean, it's have, is dead is very deadline oriented, especially the tour stuff because it's not it's not ready, you know, a few weeks before the the, the that actual show might be happening. Then then the artwork, and then you know, then I'm missing my deadline. So I got. Um, no, that makes perfect sense. Sure. Right. So I, I'm 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 usually working months to weeks ahead of ahead of when it's actually going to be released. Um, and so there's just usually just a ton of deadlines that I'm trying to get through. And I just don't have enough time to do, you know, the research for like, it would be, you know, for the stones and then also do the research and, um, gotcha. for guns and roses and, and get the artwork the way I would like it to be. You know, I don't want to rush it and then put something out that I'm not happy with. Makes complete sense. You're just one man. You do enough as it is. <laughs> Not. Yeah. Uh, anything else you got, uh, Kill Your Idols? Anything, uh, any other questions? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay. No, I just want to make sure while we, uh, you're the co-host for the day and we got Arian, you know, we, we, we pick his brain as much as possible. 
Uh, not to mess up yeah. your your beautiful ponytails, though, uh, Aaron. Do you still have them in right now? I'm je- uh, well, I, mean, I don't have them in at the moment, but I still have long hair. Uh, nice. I'm jealous. I, I finally, I've said it before, I had to get rid of my Axel Rosenberg phase and when my hair was thinning and just shave it off. So I'm jealous. Uh, but I digress. So uh, thank you, uh, Arian, so much uh, for giving us the time. I'll, I'll play the soundbite for you. You're a bad apple. You're, that's what I call the, the friends of this show, Arian. So you're always welcome back. And just, uh, again, thank you for your time. And uh, enjoy Florida. Stay away from the crocodiles. I will. Thanks. Later. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was really cool. Uh, I was really excited to talk to Arian. I know many of you were excited to listen. So, you know, again, uh, I've said enough. Uh, thank you. Kill your idols. Um, I'm sorry. It, I just feel so funny saying uh, "kill your idols" as your name, but I understand the the, the, the privacy level that goes into. Uh, I mean, not just you know with us with the Guns N' Roses uh, online community. We we've spoken about you know the copyright stuff, um, troll attacks. So I I respect people wanting you know to keep a bit of a anonymity uh, about themselves. But um, before I get into that, as part of the shotgun news thing, so expect the sound clip in just a few seconds so you don't get scared. Uh, but I do want to not just thank you for helping put this together. Um, but his name was oh, – hold on. Let me look at my GNR forum. The, the guy who connected – I guess wrote it down. Recipe for Yes. Recipe for Disaster. Recipe for Disaster 84 on my GNR forum who helped set this up and bring up Arian as a guest, potential guest. So, again, one of you listening brought a guest to me, and again, one of you listening is now a, a, a co-host. So, I really want this to be an, an inclusive podcast. So, it's not just yeah, this is uh, hopefully the premier re, re, uh, GNR podcast, but just a podcast in general that we get to have really cool conversations. I mean, it's a, of course, yes, we're here for Guns N' Roses, but we're talking about being raised by Rastafarians. You know, th- th- this. <laughs> Could go anywhere. So, you know, thanks to you. And I wanted to give a recipe for disaster proper uh, credit for helping me set this up. And uh, something you reminded me off uh, uh, off the air, uh, I'll just call you killer, <laughs> which I've been kind of, <laughs> I guess, doing. Uh, you yeah. are kind of responsible, whether directly or indirectly, for almost three episodes, which I didn't realize until <laughs> today, because you were the one that suggested uh, James or Jamie hunting. Uh, from the yeah. outpatients. I'm not sure, but I know the that uh, the suggestion came up from a thread and on the forum, and we were talking about the anxious disease as music or song, and he came up. I don't know how. I don't remember now, but yeah, I think I brought a quote from him. Yeah, that's it, how it started. Because I don't read. I mean, I obviously I like my GNR forum, but I don't read every thread. I just I. Just, it's just not yeah, me. Well, so me neither. <laughs> it's impossible. No, of course. But, uh, I mean, that's why I give kudos to the the admins, uh, Downsy and Russ TCB, for being able to wrangle in that monstrosity. But uh, yeah. but when you guys, like, tag me in some another conversation, so that's how this Aryan converse, um, interview happened. I was tagged. And that's how the James Hunting, because I think the fans wanted more to the story of the Anxious Disease song, which was... The last song uh, ever recorded by Axel and Slash together, even though they didn't know that the other was on it. <laughs> yeah. So we got great stories from uh, from James Hunting, and when James recommended Greg Buchanan, so uh, 
Oh, excuse me, Greg Buchanan or uh, Greg Buckwalter. I'm thinking of Brett Buchanan uh, because uh, <laughs> our, our friend from Alt Nation, he's actually coming to NYC, hoping to – I know many of you don't like him, but I'm cool with him. I don't know why no, he's, he's, no, he's I, on the brain. I'm really cool with Brett. You know, I don't have a problem with that. It's just uh, some fans who, I don't know, have some, you know, bad, uh, I don't know, vibes with media. <laughs> Sure. And because they think they attack the, the band, and it's not like that. You know what? Well, that, I don't think so. No, you're right. And I think that is actually the uh, the perfect segue. So it's like you co-hosted before. So enough of my, my thank yous and you know your contributions, whether directly or indirectly to the show, but the, the yeah. media twist on things. So that's a nice transition into news. Yeah, so uh, the media twisting things, and that's why I named this distortion. I, I want to untwist things despite some uh, some people out there thinking I, I'm making shit up and claiming they know the truth, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> in, and you sent me the actual article uh, because it's not online. It's just a uh, classic rock magazine. You actually have to buy the magazine, but I was sent yeah. uh, some screen caps of it, whatever. Uh, so in that, it, there was a story released, perhaps you read it on, on AlternativeNation.net, and that's, again, why it's on the brain, uh, that apparently the reporter had to sign a contract to talk to Slash. He, he, the, yes. This was in the beginning of the article, and I didn't – I thought he just had said this, like on Twitter or something, but this is in the article, which I don't know about you, but for me kind of changes my thought process about this. Uh, he goes, there are people who are worried, worried about the con- our conversation. Before I speak to Slash, I have to sign a contract that says if anything goes wrong, if some kind of shit, some kind of shit. It hits the fan because of what I write and GNR lose money, then Classic Rock carries the can. This is no small uh, this is no small thing when you're dealing with the fourth biggest earning tour of all time. So initially I was like, <laughs> like sign a contract. I mean you're not yeah. this isn't like a Sixty Minutes CNN big thing. This is just a, a rock magazine interview. Slash has done interviews before. Uh, I, I just didn't understand why. But at the same time, just like with Arian, who's not at Slash's level, I will say off the air. You know, we'll have a discussion. What can be said? What can't be said? That's kind of par for the course. But to sign a contract, I was kind of. Like whoa, that's uh, before I, I yeah, was I was, it's I was taking it back. I think. So what do you what do you think? Cause I whatever you want to divulge, but I know you have a uh, some sort of background in journalism, so uh, your opinion yeah. matters here to me. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yes, I think that it's kind of intimidating for the reporter, you know, to have that, you know. But um, I think it's uh, what. Uh, the part that it's uh, interesting is he says there are people who are worried about our conversation. It's like I don't think he means slash because um, in the same article he says that slash is he portrays the slash as a good guy, you know, as a nice guy because he tells a story about classic rock. Um, I don't know, closing or something right. the offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, yeah, and how Slash uh, gave him a call because of, uh, because of that, you know, like uh, he shows Slash as a caring guy, you know, like, and so I think he's trying to say, you know, Slash is not the bad guy here. <laughs> I mean, he is, um, he cares about the 
journalists or in people in media, you know, he has a good relationship. Uh, but that's why I think he says there are people, like he's saying that other people, I don't know who he means, but maybe the man management or I don't know. But I think that's why he brought it up. Like it wasn't know? Slash's decision to have this contract, mm -hmm. but it's like kind of like his yeah. people protecting him. It looks like that. I don't know. That's my interpretation, but I'm not sure. No, that's a, you know, you're making me think about it. So I, I appreciate that input uh, because you may be right. Because to elaborate on your story, when like when Classic Rock Magazine went out of business, uh, and then of, of course now it's back in business, but he yes. had developed some sort of... You know, relationship with Slash, but nothing, I guess they would call each other at home, nothing like they were best friends. But how yeah. I, like maybe I might have a quote-unquote relationship with Alan Niven. Share emails every once in a while, but we're not BFFs. I, I don't pretend to, yes. be, to be a friend. You know, like I like when Mike Squires. No, it's like a cordial relationship. A, yeah. Like, you know, they help each other. It's like you, you I mean, right. media and, and the artists, they help each other. Sure. But like, you know, like Mike Squires, I love how he likes my Instagram posts or he, he did a favor and he made our, our our theme song. So a relationship like that. But when his point was yes. when Slash called to say, hey, are you OK? When he was unemployed, yeah. that, that this is not a normal thing, that Slash went above and beyond. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting contrast to the to this contract. Now I do want to yeah. read a um a fan comment when I put this on on Facebook cuz cuz I get it cuz this is a band famous for that get in the ring song, of course calling people out and you got to be careful, but I I have just never experienced that in my career having to sign a contract other than uh when you're on TV. I was uh, in the background for a reality show on on A&E. And I had to sign a contract saying that I may be on, on, on TV, which I was. I didn't even know about it until a friend says, is that you? And so, I mean, I, that's the only – I've just never heard about it giving an interview. Uh, this is from Willie on Facebook. He just goes, fuck signing it. That's just wrong. If they record the interview and he says something he shouldn't, then that's on Slash himself if they quote him directly. I love the band, but fuck, this reeks of the 90s, quote, up their own asses, assholes, end quote, shit they pulled with the press. Now, if the contract actually said something like, if I'm misquoted or taken out of context, we'll sue the ass of you. That's different. I agree with that. But now yes. that you, the point that you gave me, this really could just be management being super protective. So that's, uh, mm -hmm. that's interesting. So uh, if you guys, uh, everyone listening, if you want to, you know, continue the conversation, just uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and um, you know we talk between episodes. It's fun. Uh, we'll wrap up the show with this last part of Shotgun News. I want to update you on uh, my YouTube channel that I'm making, and uh, this is all through the help with the help of uh, Mr. Raz Q. And I'll just say it like that: like Raz, we're we're friendly, but I'm paying him. He's helping me make this uh, YouTube channel, and you know, of course, since we're friendly, he's kind of going above and beyond and giving me a little bit of a discount, but. Uh, I bring it up not just to keep you updated, but this ties into the copyright episode that we did. And I know Kill Your Idols, you have quite uh, an experience with the online Guns N' Roses community. So you're familiar with the the copyright discussions, the leaked discussions that we've had. I just want to let all of you know I haven't forgotten about it, even though it's kind of been quiet lately. So I haven't forgotten. Um, yeah. I'll ask your opinion on the whole thing because I just want to say, yes – there were trolls, and we have screen caps and all that. And I, cause I still feel so bad about uh, for all the fans who lost their, 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 their pages. 
but my videos are are private right now on YouTube, and one of them was already flagged. Now this is like that's oh, insane. Come. I don't know. It was my Stevie Rochelle from Tough and Metal Sludge interview. It's a, it's an original interview. Um, I'm 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 I'd have to go back and listen to think of like what could be on there, but it's private, mm-hmm. so it has to be a YouTube thing. So it's, there is, of course, a larger issue that there always was than just the trolls, and that's with Facebook. Now yes. I, I want to say these two. One was from Russ TCB, but this was from a fan that had what I believe are just even worse experiences than having your GNR fan page taken down, which is, you know, some hobbies are important and, and, and you dev- devote hours and hours of your life to. Uh, this is Tina on Facebook. She, uh, this is when I, I talked about the copyright stuff. Uh, we live streamed my mom's funeral in December. She loved Darius Rucker, for, of course, the country singer, Hooting the Blowfish, uh, and planned everything about the event, uh, for lack of a better word. Flagged and blocked. I've written several places and no one can do anything about it, not even the church that had it on their YouTube. And our friend Russ TCB from my GNR forum did something very similar uh, with Elvis, Elvis's music. I just think whether it's YouTube or Guns N' Roses, there's a customer service gap. Like, th- there has to, like, I can't imagine Axel saying, I don't want my music being played at a fan's funeral. Like, is he that much of an asshole and needs that copyright money? I don't think so. If Elvis was alive, would he be like that? I'm surprised Darius Rucker didn't respond because he seems to be very fan-friendly. So uh, what are your thoughts? The floor is yours. Um, what I hated is because I had lists. You know, I made a list of um, different things. You know, I had like 20 GNR lists, like um, interviews and uh, shows from the 90s, shows from the 80s. You know, I had I made all it so I could watch it, you know, when I had the time. And so when I entered, you know, lately, and there are so many videos removed, that sucks, you know. Say, what? You know, I was going to watch this show and then there is nothing. And this is what the... I think what was really important and maybe some fans lost it in the discussion with the copyright stuff. It's not yes. like a movie or a show. Oh, I wish I, I could watch that for free. It's not that. It's not something that's owned by somebody else. It's kind of a special, either a special fan video that's their own or a funeral funeral request that's their own. I just think that's, if there was proper communication between the entity, whether it's YouTube yeah. or Guns N' Roses themselves, and obviously the, if it's with GNR and and um, GNR, we we knew was so, only part of the problem. It was just these platforms. I just can't imagine that not being allowed. You know, people make specific requests wanting to be, you know, like um, Abbott who just uh, passed away from from Pantera. He wanted uh, Appetite for Destruction to be played at his funeral. I mean, yeah. I, he didn't get hit with a a copyright. <laughs> So I just wanted to bring it to everyone's attention that I, I'm still aware of it. Let's just keep talking about it. I, I know these, these we're fighting the man, we're fighting the machine. You know what really can be done. Well, let's just keep talking about it, and uh, I hope to be give a you know keep giving fans a platform who had theirs taken away uh, from them. And I don't know if you have a dedication for somebody who died, I can do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I want to help and at least just continue the conversation. So even though all has been quiet on the Western Front, as the as the phrase goes, I think, um, I haven't forgotten about 
the the turmoil that was going on in my GNR forum and all the other places. And so just uh. Yeah, no, I think because the the worst part is that it's fans against fans, or it looks like that. I don't, I don't know. We we really don't know who is behind all this. If it's the band, if it's man, management, or if it's just trolls, we we don't know. That's that's the worst part. We don't know. We assume I don't know that it's the trolls or the trolls are fans who I don't know for some reason they. It's like there are factions also in the GNR fandom, you know, like people, you know, some some people come from other forums or from other platforms and they hate each other, you know. But the bad thing, I think, is that it's all fans against each other. That's That sucks, you know. We should, shouldn't be like that. Of course not. And that's what I wanted to kind of nip in the butt when this thing, these things started happening, these attacks. And I only learned about it recently, I feel. Uh, I think you've been a, a member of the um, of my GNR lo- uh, longer than I have. So you've experienced, yeah. uh, we've talked about some stuff off the air more than I have over the years. So I kind of wanted to be a voice for everybody else who's been, who have been attacked. So yes, there are specific people and they've been named. And unless there are further attacks, there's no reason to keep bringing it up. Uh, but the cop, but that's only part of it. I need to keep bringing up the YouTube stuff because that's bullshit. Yes. Because if they're if it's affecting families, in essence, you're affecting a funeral. This isn't you're not selling. You know, if you have your the, the casket all plastered with uh, sponsors and you're just you're trying to sell the funeral for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I guess you you want your music taken down, but if your last wish is to, you know, let her cry or, or something from Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, really? That's not the uh, – uh, an artist should want that. So that's how I look at the whole Guns N' Roses copyright stuff. So whether it's a YouTube issue and or a troll issue, I think it bothers a lot of people that management hasn't just said anything. You know, oh, there's nothing we can do. I'm sorry. No, we appreciate our fans who have spent countless mm-hmm. hours and years cultivating, you know, uh, their fan bases because of us and and bring us more fans. So I, I think just someone, a statement or something would be nice. Not to fix the problem, but just be aware. Just say, because the fans are obviously aware of you. Be aware of us. I, I don't think that's too much to ask, I think. Yeah, but that's that's the way the management is. Or has been for a while, so I don't know. We can't expect no, I know, you know anymore. It seems, it seems that's the way they, you know, handle themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I never, I've never spoken to a member of, of Team Brazil, so I don't want to assume any sort of personality traits because I would just be lying or creating someone else's narrative. I can only go by the former GNR managers that I've had several conversations with, and that's Alan Niven and uh, and Doug Goldstein, and they seem to be really about the fans. Not saying that Team Brazil isn't. I don't know enough. Yeah, I, I no, don't. no, I don't know them either. But right. I mean, based but, on the things that we we see, you know, the, the the this problem, for example, you know, it would have been cool if they said something, you know, not not like a long response, but something, you know. Yeah. That acknowledges the problem. A tweet, <laughs> 140 characters. Yes, a tweet. <laughs> yeah, and they have tweeted before for other things or to, you know, give us shit. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, it's few and far in between, yeah. but I guess that's why we love this band, right? Yeah, yeah. 
It's the, yes, uh, of course. there's something that it's a love hate relationship. You know, we, we wish, <laughs> you know, yes. we want more, typical, but typical guns and roses. Yeah, love, hate. exactly. We want more, but if we got more, I'm sure there would be those of us who would complain about all the stuff we have or whatever. People always find things to complain about, but, uh, I don't in this moment because of anything else, uh, guns and roses has brought this conversation together, uh, talking to uh, somebody in Florida, talking to someone in Argentina, someone in New York City, all because of Guns N' Roses. All of us have had different yeah. paths in life. Uh, I will definitely keep yours a secret, uh, unless for some, <laughs> unless you know this this op- this chance uh, to be and speak to your uh, fellow GNR fans have kind of I don't know if, if it's opened you up a little bit. If you want to come back on uh, as a, as a future co-host again, because you're officially yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I, I think it would be. So cause that's because just like uh, Arian, uh, you're officially a bad apple. So thank you. Yay. <laughs> I kill your eyes. No, thanks to you. Th- thanks for, you know, um, calling me and for inviting me to your famous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't go uh, that far, but it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's, no, it is, it is. It's cool what this has allowed me to do and uh as far as not just the people who I've been able to interview because uh, it's weird how this podcast has given me more opportunities than FM ever did but just to be able to connect yeah. with people all around the world so now you know Kill Your Idols from Argentina you know Remco from the Netherlands Kevin from Ireland uh our buddy Tomislav from Croatia I mean just like how Arian just said how his making of the GNR lithographs have taught him about other cultures this podcast yeah, yeah. has taught me about other cultures. So it's it's really cool and that's the that's the goal of the podcast. Yes, Guns N' Roses, but just to connect people because of of GNR. So you're just another person and uh that I've got, I've been uh very glad to meet along the way. So thanks for your time. No, thanks to you. You're welcome. You got it. And that does it for episode 82 of Appetite for Distortion. Remember, you can always follow us, and this is how you listen, uh, on the uh, iHeartRadio app, uh, on Spreaker, on Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, iTunes is still a bastard. I I think just like how YouTube and uh, the GNR upper echelon, I just don't get a response, and it it, it really just sucks. But, But be on the lookout for... For the YouTube channel uh, with the help of Mr. Raz Q. Uh, as far as the next episode is concerned, when are you going to hear it? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. No! Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>